Could we flip the script on our thinking about experimentation? Rather than seeing experiments as risky or as a synonym for failure, we should be embracing experimentation as the fastest way to learn about what works and what doesn't. That's this week on the Fuse Chamber Podcast. You're listening to the Fuse Chamber Podcast, where you get the elite mindsets and skills to ignite your voice and build your audience. I'm your host, Chris Williams, and I want to help you live the life you really want. Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. How can we use experimentation to accelerate success? First, let's remember why we're here. To create the next generation of leaders in arts, business, and community. To create an elite tribe of powerful, successful professionals who redefine how artists and entrepreneurs can do what they really want to do with their lives, full of passion and without compromise. I'll show you who you have to become in order to win. And I'll be here to inspire you each and every week so that you stay inspired and stay driven. This investment of 15 minutes a week will create habits that forever change your life and career. One of the things I love about my day job is that it's rooted in lean startup mindsets. Now that means, in theory at least, that my clients are committed to the idea of rapid iteration and experimentation. The prevailing belief is that small, frequent experiments will allow us to come up with what works, and more importantly, What doesn't? In a really short period of time, with very low cost and very low risk. This allows us to move with certainty, navigating the highly unpredictable and elusive space of exactly what it is that customers will want to buy. So why can't we use the same type of thinking in the arts? There are so many areas in which small experiments executed over a matter of days or weeks at the maximum could prove with certainty if our ideas are viable. And that's not just in terms of what kinds of outputs or products your customers would respond to, but also what minor tweaks in your marketing strategy or your outreach campaigns, your core messaging, or even just your own personal style, your language, or your attitudes could make. In an upcoming episode, I'll discuss the importance of being confident while being careful to never be so certain that we know everything. It's extremely difficult to be sure about what the market will respond positively to. And while theories abound, and case studies exist, and we can observe what others are doing and learn from it, there are millions of tiny variables that will impact our individual success in this industry. And in an age where we're no longer funded centrally by people who are skilled at understanding the marketplace, we now have to do that job for ourselves. So now more than ever, Artists are entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs are artists. And I believe this is one of the major sticking points that blocks so many artists from ever starting, from ever trying. That keeps their product, obviously, from ever hitting the marketplace and finding an audience. And that's a tremendous shame. Because when we're not certain what will work, it's terrifying to think about trying. So what do we do instead? We spend way too much time in the laboratory of our minds, thinking, and ruminating and imagining and never knowing when to stop imagining 
and start doing. The cost of failure is so frightening to so many of us, it's natural to imagine that it's very easy to get tripped up in the planning stages. What should I make? What influences should I foster in my work? Who should I copy or not copy? When is it okay to leap and do something that's completely my own original creation? On the flip side, the wonderful thing about our connected society is that we could make little experiments and get feedback almost instantly. We don't have to invest in production and distribution in the way that we once did. So for the most part, we can send samples of our work entirely digitally. So the first thing we should do then is let go of the idea that an artist must be entirely limited to original inspired ideas. We have to debunk the notion of the natural born original. The true original emerges only after endless experimentation. See, the thing is that experimentation used to happen in a vacuum, sometimes called the woodshed. It's that place where we hone our skills and develop that creative essence that is truly our own, but the audiences don't get to see it. In the modern era, that woodshed is open for everyone to see. And the thing is, everyone wants to see it. People appreciate the opportunity to look behind the curtain and see the emergence of an artist in progress. So we should never be shy or try to make our experiments in a place where others can't see them. The other fear that we have to let go of is that through experimentation, we'll corrupt and lose what we currently think to be our unique voice, right? We're afraid to try different things. Now, it's true that by experimenting, you will be forced to think and play outside the limits of what you currently know about yourself, the identity you've established for yourself, but that's okay. It's only by pushing those limits that the greatest of the great become who they are. Sometimes we wish that our favorite artists would keep producing the exact same blockbuster work over and over, but true artists will be the first to tell you that that's a recipe for artistic death. We need to be able to expand and grow. We need to be able to try new things, and sometimes we need to have them fail. So let's get back to experimentation. What used to be common, but is unthinkable now, is the concept that an experiment would take one to two years to fully develop and produce. If that experiment is a step in the wrong direction, the last one to two years of work could easily have been wasted. The new conception of experimentation demands much shorter experiment cycles. So what experiments do you want to set up? Well, first you have to have a goal. I've spoken numerous times about visioning and goal setting. Enough that I won't do it again right now, but you can just refer back to some older episodes if you need a refresher. So let's start with the assumption that you have a goal. To make it translatable, let's say you're a painter, a photographer, or a musician. But any of those could apply just as easily to a fashion designer, a dancer, a playwright, and on and on. So let's imagine that your goal is, in one year, and I recommend you don't go much past one year. Smaller is better when setting goals. In one year, you'd like to be what we call published. Now that means that as a musician, your tracks are online, they're being listened to. Your photography is out there, being used, being purchased, and clients know about you. Or your artwork is hanging in a gallery somewhere, either online or in the real world. Now let's get specific. In one year, you want your creative work published. Let's imagine you want 1,000 downloads per week as a musician, 
500 gallery visits per week as a visual artist, or 10 active client bookings on average at any given time as a photographer, with maybe 20 more prospects in the pipeline. You can adjust those numbers to better reflect the reality of what you do, but these are examples of goals that are not only achievable, but they're measurable, and measurable is really important in experimentation. Having a goal is so important because if you don't have a goal, all experiments would be pretty random and unfocused. The purpose of an experiment is not just to experiment, but it's to see what kinds of actions and changes move you closer to your goal or further from your goal. The first question to ask is, what's not working right now? What's keeping you from hitting your goal today? If it's a creative block, you should be trying to write three new riffs today, or as a photographer, find three subjects in nature this week and do a miniature study. If you're an artist, you could snap off a couple of sketches or new works every couple of days. Now, if you already know what you want to create, but let's say that's a totally different problem. The problem is finding the time and the mental energy to do it. Okay, so here's a different kind of experiment. Set up a time every day at, say, 5 p.m. If that time doesn't work for you after a couple weeks, try something else that you think might help your flow, help you become more creative. This is a really good example of an experiment because it's the kind that starts with a hypothesis. An identification of a problem to solve and a theory about what might work to solve it. Whatever the case, a good experiment is one that can be measured. In this case, you can measure the sheer amount of creative output that you produce per unit time. So if you used to make one new composition every six weeks, and now you're making three a week, that's an improvement. Once you learn that lesson from your experiment, you know exactly which behaviors create positive change in your working environment. And put another way, you know what is more likely to make you successful. Some experiments should be measured by their impact on the bottom line, though. We said we wanted 1,000 hits per week, 20 clients in the pipeline, or 500 visitors to your gallery. Well, these are easy metrics to measure. As long as you consider them and set yourself up to measure and record them in advance, it should be really easy to know at any given moment how many people are in your pipeline, how many people are visiting your site and start downloading your song, and how many people stepped into the gallery. When you run your experiment, it should be pretty easy to see if it resulted in fewer or more of whatever it is you're looking for. And if it made no change at all, the chances are good that the experiment you just ran had no meaningful effect on performance, or at least not yet. Maybe you didn't run it long enough. For example, if you hypothesize that offering snacks at your gallery will draw more people in, turns out it won't be effective at drawing more people into your exhibit if you didn't do a good job of advertising in the first place. It's also important to note that many variables can have an impact on performance and behavior at the same time. It's important to isolate as much as possible different variables on your experiment. So let's say you try a new marketing gimmick on Wednesday, you measure the impact on visitors, and then you try a different experiment on Saturday. If there's a change, can we attribute that change in performance to your marketing gimmick or to the day of the week on which you attempted it? So as much as possible, we should try to keep other variables consistent so that the things you observe can be attributed to the things that you changed. It's also important, as I mentioned before, to keep these experiments very short in duration. So make sure that these experiments don't take months to execute. Find a way to try these experiments at a smaller scale so they can be executed quickly. Because with the right attitude and approach, 
Experimentation is a very powerful habit. You can take small risks and make small hypotheses and then execute and measure the results in the real world where your product meets your customers, allowing you to shortcut the process of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Folks, thanks for listening. You can reach out at FuseChamber.com or find me on Twitter at FuseChamber. Come in for some more insight and coaching next week.